Beyonce songs as our guide, um, and so obviously all the single ladies is our song for the night. All the single ladies and fellas, which is just a fun old-fashioned word to say, and uh, and you know the lyrics: all the single ladies, 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 all the single ladies. Beyonce is not afraid of repetition. Um, uh, now put your hands up, up in the club. We just broke up. I'm doing my own little thing. Decided to dip, and now you want a trip because another brother noticed me. I'm up on him. He up on me. Don't pay him any attention. I, you were wondering if I was going to read all of this? Yes, I am. Just cried my tears for three good years. You can't be mad at me. Because if you liked it, you should put a ring on it. If you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. Don't be mad once you see that he won it. Because if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. Um... We're talking about singleness tonight. I wish I'd brought like a, a mass amount of cats to give to all of you as you leave from here because some of you are single and nothing says singleness like cats. Um, but when we come to think about the idea of singleness, you know, really, you know, most of you are not in that place. Some of you might be in that place where you, you're out of college and you're in grad school and you're here and you're kind of thinking like, yeah, I'm getting to that age where people start to look at me weird that I'm not in a relationship where I'm not heading toward marriage. Um, I get that. Um, I have friends that have lived that. Um, you know, hopefully there's something here for you. But what I really want to speak to when we come to think about singleness uh, for most of you is the idea of not wasting it. Um, typically, when we think about singleness, the Bible has something to say about it that says it's a blessing just like marriage is a blessing. Paul, in this passage, we're going to say that, that marriage is a blessing and he's going to say singleness is just as much a blessing. And the danger for you is you're in a season, a lot of you are in a season right now, where all of us are going to be single for a season. Very few of us are called to singleness for our life. But all of us are called to singleness for a season. My goal for you, my longing kind of for tonight, is that you would see the beauty and the goodness of that. So that's what we're doing. And to do that, we're looking at a passage from 1 Corinthians 7. And it's in your bulletin if you have your Bible. 1 Corinthians 7. 25 to 35. 1 Corinthians 7 is Paul's classic. It's kind of like if you can imagine what we're doing with the text and the question and answer time. Now concerning the betrothed, which is an old-fashioned way of saying virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry... You have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though 
they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure, this is the key, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Uh, Jesus, there's so much here that can be so confusing, and I pray that you would be the one. Lord, you you tell us that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. And Lord, we need you to be at work. We need your Spirit to be at work in us to even understand your Word. Lord, I pray that even as we come to think about something that, that, um, that is confusing, as we come to think about something that for some of us causes anxiety... Um, for it's a place in our lives where it's really hard to trust you. Lord, I pray that you would be, that you would be what you are, that you would be gracious to us, that you would meet us exactly where we are, that you would speak to us because you are a God who is there and is not silent. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for my 17th birthday, you know, you have some of these birthdays that, that you will kind of never forget. And for me, my 17th birthday was one of those. You have to know that I kind of come from a family that was big on birthdays, so we were big on presents. And so I always had pretty big expectations. I would have a list of things I would typically give my mom. And typically the top kind of two things I would get. And I remember this year because I'd just gotten a PlayStation and there were a couple of games that I wanted. And they were at the very top of my list. And I go, we have the sort of, uh, Bert, my mom makes, you know, bought the, she always bought the, the Baskin Robbins ice cream cake with like the mint chocolate, which was amazing. And we'd have that. And then she busts out the presents. And instead of uh, these games that I'd been, like, wanting for a long time, she got me monogrammed luggage. <laughs> it was one of those things where I was like, do you know what a 17-year-old boy, young man wants? Like, it's not monogrammed luggage. Like, I, I understand this costs you money, and, you, like, you went to the trouble of putting my initials on it. Not yourself, but you paid for the store to do that. And then I'm going to have, I still actually carry that bag as my bag, which is kind of sad. Nothing says I'm a grown man like monogram luggage. And, um, but, you know, when I think about singleness, especially that you've heard, if you've grown up in the church, the idea of the gift of singleness, I think about that because it's kind of like, it's kind of like that, where it's a gift that nobody wants. Like you can see how it maybe could be useful and kind of nice. But nobody then today wants it. And I think that's where most of you are. It's like you've heard maybe people talk about here's what's good about singleness, but you're like, mm, that does not sound great to me. So what I want to do is sort of unpack my, my kind of question for the night is if it's true that all of us, every single one of you, is going to be single at least for a season, how do you move from just enduring it, like kind of in a holding pattern, to actually enjoying it? Because that's what I think Paul... Yeah, that's what I think the Bible sort of wants you to do, is to move, if, if all of us are going to have at least, and be called to at least for a season, a, 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 to singleness for a season, how do you move from enduring it to enjoying it? Well, I think if you're going to move from enduring it to enjoying it, you have to have three things to kind of happen that you begin to think and, and kind of change your, your thinking. You know, this whole series is called Relationships Reimagined. So what we're trying to do each week is reimagine 
how we think about these things. And so that's what we're trying to do tonight. If you're ever going to move from enduring your season of singleness to actually enjoying it, three things that have to happen. Here's the first. Is you have to understand that singleness is a blessing. That God intends singleness to be a blessing in your life. Now, the reality of this is most of us see singleness as a curse. It's really funny. You know, typically before I, I'd come here on Tuesday nights, I'd go and grab tacos with friends. And I had a friend, I was just talking to him, and I was asking these, because two of my friends actually are, are in their 30s and got married later. And so I was saying, what was it like to kind of be in the church and be single for a long time? And the one guy was just straight up, he said, it was kind of weird because I was like 28, and I'm pretty sure these churches just started thinking that I was kind of gay. And it was like, I was just kind of like trying to understand how do I let them know that, no, I really do want to be married. Now, a lot of you, we're going to talk about, some of you do struggle with same-sex attraction, and we're glad you're here, and we're going to talk about what does that mean, how do you think about marriage. But it's funny because the point being that we often don't think about singleness as an equal blessing as marriage. And yet, if you look at this passage, and if you go up in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is saying, listen, there, there's a, marriage is a gift and a blessing, and singleness is a gift and a blessing. There are hard things that come with singleness, like loneliness. But there are also hard things that come with marriage. There are hard things and good things about both. Why is marriage so bigger? Maybe you're thinking, well, how in the world is singleness a blessing? Well, let me give you sort of, I think, three things that you can do in your season of singleness that you can't do once you're married. Three, sort Because of, I think part of what the blessing of singleness is, is you can do things with your time, with your gifts, and with your resources that you cannot do once you're married. Here's what I, here's what I mean by that. So think about this. Three, you can, my point is you can be actually, in your single season, you can be more generous, more available, more sort of working on these things and generous with these things than a married person can. Three things. Time. First time. You know, it's funny, growing up, I had a pastor that used to say, Here, there are two qualities that every leader, when you're trying to look for leaders in your group, there are two qualities that every leader has to have. One, they have to be teachable. They have to actually be able to receive the, the hard truths, the hard things you're saying to them. Second, they have to be available. They have to actually be willing, to, they have to have time that they're willing to give to meet with you, to be with you, to hang out with you. And what I want you to see is that you are never more available than in your season of singleness. There's never a time in your life where you will be more available, especially to invest your time in others and to have other more wise people invest your time, their time in you than in your season of singleness. It's just hands down. Let me give you an example. So one of the most profound, the re, one of the reasons I'm here is just when I graduated college, there was a man in Southern South Carolina named Clark Bonham who, would, who spent hour upon hours upon hours of time with me that I would not have been able to spend at this point in my life now. But the reason I was able to go meet in his office and have lunch for an hour and a half and two hours, the reason I was able to get in his car and drive with him two hours when he would go speak at places is because I was single. I had no other commitment, not no other commitments, but my other commitments were limited, so I was more available. That's one of the huge, huge blessings of singleness, that you're actually, you have, you're, you're available. Um, but two, gifts. You not only have more time, but you have an opportunity to both discover and develop gifts that you will not have once you're married. Think about this. So uh, here's my example of that. My wife uh, loves photography. But between waking up at 6.30 with two kids that are just like monsters as soon as they get out of the bed and like getting them breakfast and packing their lunch 
and taking them to school and coming home to a three-year-old at home who's also a little monster and like watching her all day and then doing lunch with her and doing nap time with her and then picking the kids up from school and then getting home and the kids are monsters again trying to do their they're always hungry your kids are always hungry they're like I'm starving we're like we just fed you like pounds and pounds of goldfish they're like little goldfish addicts um Here's the point. When is my wife going to have time to actually develop the gift of photography? And then think about the other side of it. Think about, um, think about the, one of my favorite sort of pastors and, and authors, John Stott. And he, he, he very real. There's an interview he did with Christianity Today. He was a pastor in, in London uh, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and part of the 90s. Uh, he's, he went on to be with the Lord now. But... He did a really honest, he was single his whole life, single and celibate. He felt called to singleness. And he did this really honest interview with Christianity Today where he was talking about what was it like to be single for his whole life. And it's interesting, here's what he said at the end of the interview. He said a lot of interesting things, but he said this. He said, looking back with the benefit of hindsight, I think I know why that I was called to singleness. He said, I could never have traveled or written as extensively as I have done if I had had the responsibilities of a wife and family. There was something beautiful that he had freedom to discover and develop his gifts. And that's why he was an incredible preacher, he was an incredible speaker, and he was an incredible author. And he had time. And he would say, like, I had time to, to go and spend weeks at a house with a couple and just write. That's something that, that when you're married, you just can't do. You can be like, all right, family, love you guys, and I'll see you in two months. Like, you just can't do that, right? Like, you just can't say, love you to death, but I'll see you in a year. You know, I mean, it's not what you can do. So time gifts, but then also resources. Here's what I mean by that. That you, I have a good friend who likes to say, when you come to think about your money, that part of what handling your money well is, is you're telling your money where to go instead of asking where it went. I need simple things like that. I don't do that very well. But I love that idea that being a good steward of your money is you're telling your money where to go instead of asking where it went. Here's what I want you to see is that when you are single, especially if you're single and working out of college, there will never be a time in your life where A, you will have more money to give and B, where you can freely decide where to tell that money to, where you get to freely decide where to tell that money where to go. That doesn't sound like good English, but we're going with it. Do you see what I'm So here's what I think about. I think about my, my, one of my students at Georgia Southern, graduated, was single, didn't really date a whole lot in college. He's married now, but he was single for about, I guess, a good six, seven years from college to out of college. But he had this sweet IT job in Atlanta. And he would come, he, would, like, he got this job, he was making, you know, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, which isn't a ton of money. But when you're single and you're used to kind of living within a budget, he would come to me and say, Sammy, I need, like, I have money to, I need to give away. Can I please support you? And like, he started supporting me, it was like two, three hundred dollars a month. And this is a guy, and he just, he was generous with his money, but he could be. He was also the guy that when, uh, when we had one of our interns a couple years ago, needed his computer broke down. He was the guy that said, $2,000, buy a MacBook. This is one of the blessings that he could do that. You can't do that when you're married. You can't just say, I'm giving you 2000 bucks just and not have to check with what do we need as a family and what do we need you know, for the kids and what do we need, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Blessings of singleness. This is a season of your life that has incredible potential for blessing. Um, and that's Paul's big point here. Paul's big point is marriage isn't better than singleness. Paul's big point is that both are meant to be gifts in your life from God. And yet, what you and I do are like, we don't see it as a gift. Like, you don't think in your mind, God, you know how I know God loves me? Because I'm single. Like, do you ever have that thought? Because you should. 
because he means it to be a gift to you. God, God loves me so much that he's, he is giving me a season of blessing. Right? Um, there, there's a great article in this by a girl named Paige Benton Brown. And here's what she says about it. It's called, single, I love the title, it's called Singled Out, Singled Out by God for Good. Uh, which none of us think like that. But here's what she says. She says, warped theology is at the heart of attempts to explain singleness. Because this is what we think when we think singleness. And here she gives some examples. As soon as you're, this is what we think about singleness. As soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. As though God's blessings are ever earned by your contentment. Here's another one. You're too picky. As though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs broader parameters in which to work. Here's a third one. As a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work, as though God requires emotional martyrs to do his work, of which marriage must be no part. Here's the last one. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful, as though God grants marriage as a second blessing to the satisfactorily sanctified. Here's what she goes on to say in your bulletin. She says, accepting singleness, whether temporary or permanent, does not hinge on speculation about answers God has not given to our list of wives, but rather, and this is the key, but rather on celebration of the life he has given. I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I am too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single, and this is the key, I am single because God is so abundantly good to me, because this is his best for me. It is a cosmic impossibility that anything could be better for me right now than being single. And my point is, do you think like that? Do you see your singleness or do you see singleness as a blessing or as a curse? Because God intends it to be a rich season of blessing in your life. Now, let's get to the sort of the elephant in the room, though. So how do you know, though? Because there are some of us. So if all of us are called to to a season of singleness... What do we do with this idea of, of singleness being, having the gift of singleness, meaning we're called to it for a lifetime? And this is the thing that I need you to see, that I want you to see, is that not only do you have to see it as a blessing, but you have to see that kind of singleness, lifelong, long-term singleness, as a, as a calling. Part of what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 7, and part of his heart for the Corinthians, is he keeps saying, if you go up the passage, he keeps saying, I want you to live as you were called. What does he mean by that? He's basically saying, in this situation, in this famine, we don't want you to freak out. I don't want you to freak out. I want you to live wherever God has put you, wherever he has called you. If you're married, stay married and, and have a great marriage. If you're single, don't freak out about marriage. You need to focus right now. Focus your attention on the kingdom. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But Paul is saying, though, that the, the idea of, of being kind of called to this for a, long, a longer time, for a long-term deal, is, is actually a calling. Um, and when we think about calling, you know, it's something that, that you... You know, when you come to think about calling, it's kind of two things going on. On the one hand, you're sort of made for it. Um, that, the example that I always think about and I've used before is when I graduated college, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And so I know some of you know I've shared before that, that I really seriously thought as I was engaged to be married to my wife, I really seriously thought about trying to do landscaping for a living. The reason I was trying to do that, and I literally went to my boss and was like, hey, can I run a crew? And Because um, I'd worked there for about three months and, you know, was qualified to run a crew. But I was just trying to get a job to, to kind of be married and have money. And, and he sort of looked at me, and I think what he saw that I now know is like, you're not really made for landscaping. Like, when I look at you, I don't think, landscaper, that is your calling. 
And neither did I sort of feel like, man, I love cutting grass and like digging ditches. And like, I mean, there was no, like I did it and it was rewarding because you get to see the finished product of your results. There's something, I mean, Martin Luther used to say there's something incredibly sanctifying and, and satisfying about working with your hands. I think that's biblical. That was cool. But like in terms of lifelong calling, I don't think, I kind of, because here's an external person saying, you know, I don't think you're cut off for landscaping. And then the, internally I'm kind of thinking, I've never wanted to do this my whole life. That's part of how calling works. There's an external part and an internal part. Then, how, so how did I get into ministry? So I started working in youth ministry, and I loved it. I loved the teaching. I loved, like, hanging out with the kids. There were people, parents in the youth group, they are like, man, you seem really, like, you like to do this. You're good at it. So it's kind of like, yes, that was part of how I sort of found out I think I'm called to ministry. Now, here's what I want you to see, is that's how singleness works, too, long term. There's a sense in which you're kind of good at it and made for it. And there's a sense in which your life can kind of go that way. And people in your life can kind of affirm that in you. Now, what, well, here's what I want to keep, especially my girls. I don't want you to I say my girls in the, the least weird way possible. But God doesn't often call you to things that you just absolutely hate. Especially in terms of vocation. Especially in terms of calling. Okay, yes, he calls us to die to ourselves. Absolutely. But I mean like what you're supposed to do with your life. And Paul sort of says here, he kind of says two things. One of the qualifications he gives, if you're a kind of person who, who really struggles, and you're, he, the way he puts it in old-fashioned way, you're burning with lust, you're born, burning with passion, you're probably not cut out for singleness. But if you're the kind of person that's kind of okay, like you don't really struggle in that area, you know, that's a different story. Uh, if you're the kind of person that's not, that you can kind of, you're not overly lonely. Like part of how my two friends that I met with tonight, they, they knew they wanted, they were called to marriage was they were, their singleness was bone crushingly lonely. And that was part of how they knew that that was not something they were called to long term. They would both say that God taught them a great deal in that season of loneliness because we're going to talk about what God intends to teach you in your season of singleness. And one of the big things is to depend and, and depend and serve him alone. Um, but they would say long term that it wasn't a fit for them. They weren't made for it. Um, but Paul, when he's saying this, probably has in mind something that Jesus says. And here's what Jesus kind of, when he talks about this idea of long term, lifelong celibacy, singleness, he, Jesus in Matthew 19 sort of says three things. It's a weird passage, and he's talking about eunuchs, who in that day, eunuchs were the category for people who kind of did lifelong celibate singleness. And Jesus basically says there are three ways that people knew that long-term they were called to this. And he says this, it's interesting in Matthew 19, you can look at it later, but he basically says there are three ways that you sort of come to or, 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 or decide to be long-term a, a, a celibate single person. One is you're born that way. What does that mean? Well, in, this, in, the, in Jesus' day, it could have been you had sort of a physical defect. It could also mean you're born with a homosexual orientation. It could mean that part of part of it's an inher- a better way of saying it is it's an inherent condition that makes marriage not something that's attractive or something that you feel like you can do. So you're sort of born that way, in the words of Lady Gaga. Number two, to quote Jesus and Lady Gaga. Number two, sorry, that was bad. <laughs> number two, you're made that way. Uh, and again, in Jesus' time, there was forceful castration. That's Probably not happening in our time. But there is a sense of there are circumstances, inherent circumstances that prevent you. Like I had someone in my family who never got married because she circumstantially felt called to care for, for elderly parents that were really, really sick. And so she li- actually lived with her mom until her mom died. And by the time her mom died, she was in her 50s. 
And so she sort of decided this, is, this takes priority in my life. Caring for my parents takes priority for me over marriage. And so there's sort of inherent condition. You're born that way. Inherent circumstances, you're made that way. Or there are circumstances beyond your control that sort of lead you that direction. And here's the third one. And this is the one that, that leads us to what the point of singleness is, is that you choose that way. And this is Paul. And this is what Paul is talking about in our passage. So he's saying, listen, it's much, much easier for me to have undivided focus on serving Jesus and the kingdom and using all of my time, all of my resources, all of my gifts to serve and be about the work of the kingdom. That's why you could plant so many churches, write so many letters. I mean, it's sort of like the John Stott thing, part of how Paul could be so incredibly. Do you ever look at Paul and think, God, I feel so lazy compared to Paul. He planted like, I don't know, a thousand churches. He wrote like, you know, hundred. He was constantly writing, and but part of what he's saying is part of what I decided was I decided that that that, that part of why I'm called to singleness is I am content. I can I, I don't have to be married. I can I can control myself sexually. I'm not lonely. I have friends. God's people are my family, and I'm 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 I'm, I'm laying down marriage so that I can focus on serving the kingdom. Um. So, how do you know you're called to it though? Well, it's kind of you're going to be. In that category, right? Where there's something, maybe an inherent condition where you feel like, I don't think I could ever do marriage well. Uh, maybe there are inherent circumstances that are going to come along in your life where you think, I don't know that, I, that I'm going to be able to be married because of this and, and, my, and having to do this. And it could be that you decide, you know, I feel I'm, a, I'm content with it. And I feel like I, that God wants me to sort of lay this down for a season or lay this down and really focus on serving him. I've got a friend, an old intern actually, who's doing that right now. And she doesn't, the thing about it is you don't necessarily, like John Stott in his interview says, I didn't know like I was going to do this my whole life. He was just like, this is sort of the way the Lord led me. And thank the Lord that he doesn't sort of, part of his grace to us is he leads us step by step. Like part of what you and I want to do, like we sing that song, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. Oh, for grace to trust him more. But we are like, we're liars because we don't trust him because we want to know where he's taking us. We don't want to have to hold his hand and let him lead us step by step. We want to know where are we go, where are we going, Jesus? Where are you taking me? Which is why, for me, especially in these last couple of months, this prayer, really, this just truth from Psalm one thirty eight, has been such a huge blessing for me. When David says, "The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me," the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. I can trust him that he knows what he's doing in my life. I can trust him that he knows what's best for me. And this is the most important thing. I can trust him that he loves me. I can trust him that, that if... It, I can trust Jesus that if Jesus was willing to give his life for me, the most ultimate good thing that he could ever do for me, that he's not going to be like, all right, what's up? I'm ready to screw you guys over. It's time. Time to pay the piper. It's time for me to, you can't, I can't wait to show you how I'm going to mess up your life. I can't wait to show you how I'm going to screw you over. Which doesn't mean he doesn't bring baneful things, but it does mean this is the blessing of being a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you don't have this blessing. That every single thing in your life, like today, all of the small things and bad things and good things that Jesus is masterfully, not only in control over as the king, but masterfully working because he knows it's good for you. I mean, this is where he's like, 
you, know, you think about parents, and if you had good parents, you know sometimes they would ask you to do things and make you do things that you did not want to do that were painful, but because you knew they knew that they loved you and were doing it because it was good for you. And how much more Jesus? How much more can you trust Jesus in these seasons of your life, and the seasons of your life especially that you don't, that suck, that you don't like, how much more can you trust him that he is doing it because it's good for you? But this is the third thing you've got to see, and this is the biggest thing you've got to see. This is why marriage is as big a blessing as, uh, singleness is as big a blessing as marriage. And here's the last thing I want you to see. It's the kingdom. So you have to understand singleness is the blessing of it. You have to understand singleness, is the, long term, is the calling of it. But you have to, this is the last piece, you have to understand that singleness is all about the kingdom. Here's the point. If marriage is a picture of God's love, singleness is a picture of God's kingdom. What do I mean by that? I mean that singleness is a parable. It's a way of seeing and knowing and experiencing that God, that ultimately at the end, the bottom line, when we bottom line it, God is the, ultimately the only one I need, and God ultimately is the only one I serve. And I'm telling you, if you can enter into singleness knowing that, that if marriage is a picture of a God who loves and forgives sinners, singleness is a picture that God, God is enough for you, and at the end of the day, he alone is worth serving. And this is what Paul is trying to say. Is at the end, we get to the 35. That's why he says the whole point of this is I want you to have undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, I mean, you know what that means? I, like I want you to, have to, to sort of be whole and focused and fixed and decided in the way that you serve and follow Jesus. And you won't do that until you trust him. And you won't trust him until you really believe that Jesus is all you need. And this is what we love to say in our life. You will never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And there's no better season when you just have your cat and Jesus. And sometimes you don't even have a cat because you don't like cats. And there's something wrong with you if you don't like cats. But when you don't have anything literally in your life but Jesus. Yeah, write that down if you're taking notes. There's something wrong with you if you don't like cats. You can take that home, put it in your pocket. But that you will never, but that's what singleness does. He's ultimately the only one I have. He's ultimately the only one I need. And he's ultimately the only one worth serving. And this is where, you know, when I was, um, especially when I was doing that, that first relationship, where, I, you know, my first dating relationship, I was like, we are going to get married. And then God broke us up because he loves me. But I remember thinking, well, like that passage where Jesus says in Matthew 22, when he says, listen, there won't be marriage in heaven. That we will be like angels in the sense of we won't be married. Married people no longer be married in heaven. We'll all be single in heaven. It's going to be like the ultimate Christian mingle where it's just like singles, (laughs) just like partying with Jesus, but not wanting to date and use each other. Probably some awkward side hugs going on somewhere in there. Um, but this used to bother me until I understood. Listen, so one of my favorite scenes, this is, the way I want to, this is the way I've been thinking about today. One of my favorite scenes in Lord of the Rings, you know it, is the scene where Gandalf is with Sam, so the end of the, it returned the king, and Sam asks him the question, will all the sad things come untrue? And Gandalf laughs this laugh, and it's this beautiful passage where the echoes of laughter and just this beautiful, but we love that line. I love to say that line, will all, will all the sad things come untrue? The answer of heaven, what Jesus, and the answer of the kingdom, that Jesus finally reigning fully and finally as king, Jesus finally giving his blessings and us being with him in the kingdom, that all the sad things will come true. Yes, but there's a second part that we sometimes miss. 
Not only will all the sad things come true, yes, absolutely, but all the good things at some level will be fulfilled by him and in him. And I don't mean that we're not going to have work. We're going to have a relationship. Absolutely, we're going to have a relationship in heaven. We're going to know each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to party together. We're going to drink together. We're going to eat together. Jesus, the Bible says that. But the thing I said, why, why not marriage then? Because we don't need it anymore. Why don't we need it anymore? Because God is there. And he is all that we need. And he is everything that we need. And singleness, if you can let it be, if you can see singleness as, a, as really a season where you can just, just, just be there, live there, believe that, that go, let that go deeper into your heart, it could be a real blessing to you. Uh, I'm going to close with Paige Brown again. She, she says it better than I could, just about trusting God with this. And here's what she says. I'll close with this. She said, can God, she's, she's wrestling. Her sister just got married when she wrote this article. She's older than her sister, and she says so she's wrestling with it. But this is what she says then. I love this line. I'll close with it. She says, can God be any less good to me on the average Tuesday morning than he was in that monumental Friday afternoon when he hung on a cross in my place? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me tomorrow either because God cannot be less good to me. His goodness is not the effect of his disposition, but the essence of his person. Not an attitude. This is so huge. Not an attitude, but an attribute. I long to be married. My younger sister got married two months ago. She now has an adoring husband, a beautiful home, a whirlpool bathtub. Sounds amazing. And all new silverware. Is God being, here's here's what she says, is God being any less good to me than he is to her? And the answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. God can no more live in me apart from the perfect fullness of his goodness and grace than I can live in Nashville and not be white. If he fluctuated one quark in his goodness, he would cease to be God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we don't believe that. And we need grace to believe that. Uh, Lord, forgive us for the ways we just don't trust you. Forgive us for the ways that we really think we know better than you. Forgive us for the ways that we are like toddlers, uh, that we um, don't have big boy pants because we are constantly not letting you, not able for you to say no to us. Not able for you to, to, to even believe that you love us and, and know things that we don't know and can be good to us in ways that we can't see. Forgive us for that. Help us, Lord. Help us to be, uh, to be those people who know your goodness, who believe it. And help us in particular, I pray, to enjoy. Not to try to endure the season of singleness, uh, but to enjoy it. Lord, we need your grace for that, too. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name.
so far I just can't see You're so far away 